Hello! Wow, Welcome that was perfect podcast. In sync. <laughs> <laughs> it's the word on the hill with the linky guys. I'm Scott Powell. I'm Father Peter Muzzin. We've never done that before. Do you know that? Start at the exact same moment and yeah, yeah. say opposite things. <laughs> that is the first time. It's opposite day, uh, also no. known as Halloween. Halloween scares me. Why? It's spooky. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, dude. No, I'm not it's not my favorite holiday. Not for any like deep like oh it's unspiritual. Not for any I just get creeped out. It is. So to, uh, so we're going to be dealing with the 31st Sunday in ordinary time. We are going to be dealing with it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We're going to be maintaining the 31st Sunday of ordinary time. We're going to be menacing? Is that what maintenancing. Maintenancing. <laughs> Dude, I saw an article today about um about there, there's some terrible haunted house that like causing people psychological oh, damage. That. Yeah, you have to like fill out. A, you have to take a physical into a forty-page oh waiver. And no, it's not okay. It's at that. In point, my humble opinion, no, I still don't think like getting scared like that is actually okay or healthy. Or no, it's not. It's time. It's time. Yeah. To talk about the reading. Our first reading is from the Wisdom Book. Okay. Number eleven. The Book of Wisdom. There are a number of wisdom books. But this one is the one actually titled Wisdom. And it's number 11 with what? colon 22 to number 12 colon 2. You proud of yourself for that? Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, our responsorial psalm is Psalm 145, verses 1 through 2, 8 through comma, 9, comma, 10 through 11, comma, 13, comma, 14. Parentheses. And our response itself is coming from 1. Close parentheses. Mm. <laughs> I don't. I don't know why no, that's good. so funny. It's Do you know that when I dictate, having to dictate, um, oh, voice dictation on the voice phone. Voice dictation on the I phone. I feel like I use open and close parentheses inordinately. Because <laughs> now that you say that, I feel like I'm always voice dictating parentheses. <laughs> okay, anyway. we ha- we have the number two. I was need to qualify things. Right. Right. Okay. Right. Sorry. Number two Thessalonians. Mm. Uh, number one colon uh, number eleven oh dash. Number two, colon, number two. Oh, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> Our gospel is coming from Luke, chapter 19, verse 1 through 10. 1 through 10. <laughs> that was a little melodic, wasn't it? 1 through 10. I didn't intend it to be. That's okay. It's, uh, <sighs> just, it's just another shorty, you know? No. Oh, short gospel. No, short man. Oh, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. <laughs> I didn't know. I I don't know why I have this. I think it was like an iTunes free song, but I think I have a song in my library called Just Another Shorty. Go Shorty. By like Missy Elliott or something. I don't We're know. Party like it's your birthday. Somebody right now is is so mad because they're like, I totally know that song and you're, it's not Missy Elliott. <laughs> I think other people are mad just that we're talking about it and not the readings. I can name both of those people. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Our, uh, yeah, so okay, so the first reading. Um, the Book of Wisdom. Coming from Wisdom, which we've talked about. Uh, wisdom is, we've talked about the wisdom literature and sort of as a genre before. But this is a book, it's, it's, we don't really know who wrote it. We think that it's a product of what's called Alexandrian Judaism. So when um, certain members of Judaism went up to Alexandria in Egypt, sort of after the exile, um, to uh, put the the Old Testament into the form of the Septuagint, right? Translate the text into Greek, this sort of center of learning. It's believed that this book is a product of that time period, right? So it's dealing in a lot of ways with how to be faithful, how to find wisdom, 
both in a world with competing views of what wisdom is, right? The Greek thinking Hellenistic world with all of its ideas of wisdom and philosophy uh, and, and things the like world this. kind of going into Hellenistic handbasket. Uh, nice, nice. That yeah. was, I was wondering where, how you were going to get a, there. A Halloween, I knew you Halloween were going there, game. but I didn't know how you'd get there <laughs> in a handbasket is the answer. Yeah. I saw a bumper sticker a while back. It said, where are we going and why are we in this handbasket? <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was funny. <laughs> um, but yeah, but but so it's it's in a post-exilic world where Judaism is now scattered, and we're trying to figure out how our life gets integrated in the rest of the world with all these competing voices. The the Book of Wisdom is is trying to show what true wisdom is and how it is rooted in and only in the Torah and God's Word, and. All of these other paths to so-called wisdom are actually ways to foolishness. And so it, 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 it is using the things that have been made, our perception of creation, of nature, of human, um, the things that, that humans do in trying to discern what is wise and what is foolish. The two ways really is how it's established. Here's the way of righteousness, uh, the way of wisdom and the way of foolishness. And much of the world is heading down the way of foolishness. Mm. Right? Um, does that make sense? I'm yes. trying to think of things that we haven't said about this. It's got uh, we done did, we've, we've been doing this seriously so long that I um I don't think we have ever well there's things that we can say that are are not there are things and I and that's where actually this reading um there there's really three sections to the book of wisdom kind of three chunks right so there's the way of wisdom and foolishness which is sort of the first part of the book and then there's um a long section from chapter six through nine praising wisdom, how wonderful it is, how holy it is, how beautiful it is. And then in the third part of the book from chapter 9 through 19, which is where we find ourselves, it's demonstrating basically the two other principles of what is wisdom, what is foolishness, why is wisdom so great, and then in the third part looking at how God's wisdom has been revealed throughout the course of salvation history. That if we go back, we can say, oh, this is how God has consistently shown us who we are and who he is throughout the course of history. Mm. And so in chapter 11, it's actually talking about the story of the Exodus because all this sort of finds its home. All the wisdom literature in a lot of ways finds its home in the, in the Exodus story. Right. And I'm trying to figure out exactly how to articulate. There's a lot sort of on my mind and heart about what's going on in this reading. Um, and I'm not totally sure exactly how to say it, but basically what the, this section is doing in chapter 11, it's um, this, this conversation about how if we look back in history, God has provided for Israel, his people, so that they can be a light to the nations. And he's consistently um, punished those who do not follow his will, those who follow the ways of foolishness. And so just before this, it talks about how the Egyptians worshipped all of these different gods. And because they worshipped these things that were of creation, but they were not God, God used those same things to punish them. Right. So in other words, it, it's sort of this fascinating story of how, if you go back to the plagues in Egypt, when God tried to show not just Israel, but also the Egyptians, that the things they were worshipping were not God, God used their sin against them. Does that make sense? Yes. He used the he, God could have created some big fire-breathing dragon to come and punish them or wipe them out, but instead God uses flies and frogs and hail and a river. You know what I mean? Yeah. In that God is using the it's we reap what we sow. Right. It's not the God that we believe in is not 
this angry grandfather sitting on a throne up in heaven waiting for us to mess up so he can shoot us with lightning bolts or send the fire-breathing dragons down to get us. The things that we choose to do in our foolishness and in our sin are the things that are going to come back to bite us, right? Right. Right. But at the same time, when we look at this reading, we're hearing— But this but is to, the counter. This right. That's what comes right before this. Right. And, so and then God gives, uh, but— you have, But you have mercy and all because you can do all things. You yeah. overlook people's sins that they may repent. Right. I mean, you think about that. That's like one of the—like, the, if you've ever had somebody hold something against you, mm. um, it actually gets— Or if you've ever held something against someone. Right. It actually can be very, very challenging. Absolutely. But then you get there and it says, therefore you rebuke offenders little by little, mm-hmm. warn them and remind them of their sins they are committing that they may abandon their wickedness and believe in you, O Lord. I so think... there's so there's that, the, that's the inverse of the coin. Yes. Is that there's a certain sense of saying like, I'm not going to punish this, but I'm going to I'm going to bring this up to you and I'm going to actually have this recurringly come to you so that you can see it and choose of your own will to actually move away from it, yes. which is a different thing than justice, which is saying I'm gonna I'm gonna jail you, right? Yes, um, but you skipped over an important part in the middle, which and is? that's where I think the plagues and these things that the Egyptians worshipped put in context actually comes back. So yes, you overlook sin so that we may repent. It does talk about punishment, but but rebuking little by little, right? The, the, the soft punishment, the soft trying to remind us, bring us back. But smack in the middle of that, it says, why? Because you love the things that are. You loathe nothing that you have made. For what you hated, you wouldn't have made. Why would you make something if you hated it? And how could a thing remain unless you willed it or be preserved had it not been called forth by you? But you spare all things because they are yours, O Lord and lover of souls. And I'm thinking about that in the context of what Wisdom just talked about, which was the Egyptians reaping what they've sown by being punished by the things that they have worshipped. Oh, you worshipped these things? Well, they are going to be... It's <laughs> Just as I said, I was reminded of that scene in um, Ghostbusters. Remember where the, their punishment is going to come from whatever they think of, and it's the Stay Puft Marshmallow <laughs> yeah, Man? Yeah. It's like, you choose your own punishment, which is a silly analogy, but it's like, you choose your own analogy. You know, it's not, God is not arbitrary. He's not just going to, you know, arbitrarily punish in these weird ways. You worship flies, well, then you're going to be overrun with flies, because you've made them into something that they're not. Right. It's not that God hates flies. It's not that God hated the Nile River and destroyed it and turned it to blood. It's that you've misused the good things that are. God doesn't hate the things that Egypt has used as idols. Right. He loves those things, and that's actually why it's a problem. You chose to worship the Nile River rather than see it as a gift from God. You chose to worship frogs and cattle and the weather patterns and flies and gnats and and all these different things rather than to see them for their good. But God doesn't. God loves them. And so although Egypt was overrun with frogs and it seemed like this terrible punishment, it's not because God chose to disown his creation or to hate what he had made. You have misused the good things that were or that that, that have been made. And so those things have come back to bite you, so to speak, but not because God has turned on what he has made. It's like, yeah, if you eat too much candy, your teeth are going to rot out. 
Right. Not because of some arbitrary punishment being thrown down from heaven, right. but because there are ways that nature works and it's built into the natural cycle right. that if you misuse sugar, yeah, it's going to pay a consequence to you. This is, and for, all those, this is for all those people who are going out Halloweening today. Or all you parents who are going to steal from your kids. Uh-oh. They did a study that said 72% of parents admit to stealing candy from their kids. On Halloween. And my question is, why are the other 38% lying? <laughs> anyway, I'll just leave that there. Because <laughs> come on. But so therefore, we're going to rebuke you little by little. And no, no, God's going to re- rebuke you. No, no, we're little. reminding you. Oh, this it's, it's us. <laughs> See, we're just participating <laughs> little by little. Little by little. You know, you can ask. It's okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> does that make sense, though, the first reading? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> But you, I, I'm feeling I'm feeling a little punchy today. So you are feeling a little punchy. But I think that my takeaway from this, because again, what's you one of the major? To, you don't have to explain it. To no, just last thing though. Okay. Yeah. One of the major overarching themes of the whole book of wisdom, and really the whole wisdom literature, is that God can be known and perceived through His creation. Right. And so, if at times it seems like, wait, why is creation punishing me? It's not because God has turned on his creation. It's because we have misused it. I'm because gonna, God speaks through those things. Yeah, this is the thing. Is I'm going to go one step even please, further please than do. that. And that I actually think that there's inherent narrative in everything that is. Absolutely. In all that, in all that exists. In the same way that I can say, you know what? Uh, okay, yes. maybe I said something wrong and I lose my voice. Oh. Maybe I'm not saying what I need to say and I, and I lose my voice to remind me. Right. Like, like there's all these metaphors that yeah. are intrinsically built in huh. so that if I actually pay attention to what's taking place, hmm. then I can actually learn from the things that right. are the voice of the Lord from creation right. to speak to me inherent to the things that are going on yes. because he's going to remind me a little bit by little bit. Yes. Yes, exactly. Right. And rebuke a little bit by a little bit. Oh, you have a stomach ache? Mm. Maybe you should stop eating that thing that you're eating. Oh, you're going to keep doing it? Then it's going to become gluttony and actually could raise to the level of a pretty severe sin. But little by little, he's going to remind mm. us. And there's, you know, I, I I'm... Mm. I go to a naturopathic um, doctor. I go to a regular medical doctor, too, a traditional medical doctor. But I also have a friend who's a naturopath, not in a, the weird kind of new agey way, but in just the sense that I have this friend who's constantly so trying to get me. Somebody who radically believes that food is medicine? Oh, weird. Who radically is trying to get me to believe that everything in my body is actually connected and my body can actually tell me what's happening in itself. Right. That, that radical notion. But that's part of what's going on here. Like God is going to remind us little by little he can rebuke us through the when we're we, we no, there's the little, it's what we call conscience, right? That little voice that says, no, you shouldn't be doing that. Don't head mm. toward that website. You know, it could lead to bigger things. You might want, want to do that. Don't, you know, maybe it's, don't, it's, you know. It's interesting. Like, um, uh, one of the things I talk about when, when I'm talking to people about prayer, as I always am talking to them about how prayer rehydrates us, that if, if, if we actually stop praying, yeah. it's equivalent to us getting Not dehydrated. water. And yeah. and so what ha- and, and it's huh. really funny because I've had a headache for the last two days because I got really dehydrated. Are you neither drinking nor praying? And that's the and that's the <laughs> oh, thing no. is, is I'm looking and I'm like, oh, that's what it is. Is that I'm I'm actually not spending the time that mm. the Lord is calling me to in prayer. 
And now I've got this headache because I'm not actually spending the time that I need to with him because I'm becoming, he's actually going to use the dehydration yeah. of my body in yeah. relationship to a metaphor that I use for other people, because that's the narrative that I've established with the Lord. And he wants to use that to say, dude, you got to be praying more than right. you are. Because the things of creation and the way our bodies work, it's good. And right. God wants to, but the reason this is challenging is all of this requires self-reflection which is hard to do. It's hard to get out of ourselves and think back about ourselves and what we've done. And and this is the thing is that self-reflection actually can come both um, in a private way mm-hmm. and in uh, a communal way. So Absolutely. like I actually find that when I'm talking to people, I can work things out in a clearer way. Like that's yeah, why yeah. that's why like talking about the scriptures with you, I right. always end up finding a deeper way of relating. Likewise, yeah. Um, whereas, like in prayer, I have I have a very different way of relating to God, right? And, and like there's, uh, but then mm. I get to new places, and then I take mm. this stuff to to God. So it's almost like it's a both and. It's almost like uh, the responsorial psalm. I will praise your name forever, my King, my God. Okay, that was a stretch, but like no, it's all right. It's okay. Like <laughs> <laughs> actually, I don't know the link. Well, yeah. This is a stretch, but as you were saying that, you were saying it's through these interactions and through these things of tangible nature that you come to these deep realizations, to which the response is, well, I will praise your name forever, my King and my God, because you have opened my eyes to these well, things. Okay, here's the thing. Okay, second strophe that we I have I know, here. I'm looking at the, the second. Oh, the I'm Lord, looking at the third. The Lord is good to all and compassionate towards all his works. What? The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and great kindness. The Lord is good to all. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the one I was looking at. (laughs) I lost my place. (laughs) Yeah. So, but yeah. That, that's where it's like it oh, is bringing that, it back right like his works he even is actually interested into the things that are happening yes. in the full panoply of our lives yes absolutely right and not only the full panoply of our lives <laughs> but the full panoply of, <laughs> of his creation right all of it it all nothing goes unseen and unnoticed and unloved by God because as wisdom said nothing would exist if God did not will it down to the tiny gnat or blade of grass, he wills it, which is another way of saying he loves it because it is. And so the only proper human response is we praise his name forever because what is the rest of creation doing? It's also praising his name. And if we can tap into that, then again, like the wisdom literature says, then we can actually get an insight into the way that God works in history because he can be seen through the things that are. So the liturgy always prepares us for this. So what happens is that what do we do? We have the penitential rite. Lord, we have sinned. So, uh, you know, and so we do that together in the mass. Then we go into the Gloria. So what happens is we extol his name we, because, yeah, because yeah. the bridge from penance into understanding is always the praise of God. Because what happens- bridge, well, hold on, I, I, that's good. The bridge from, from penance, penance to understanding. So we go from the penitential yeah. right into the word, yes. into the liturgy of the word. Yes. The bridge is the glorification of God saying, God, you're wow. the one who orders all things. Wow. You're the one who- is the source of all. And so if I recognize that I have sinned, then the liturgy teaches us that we actually get into gratitude. We get into right um, um, glory, orthodoxy. Orthodoxa, yeah. Yeah, we get into orthodoxy. And then from that, then we start to actually get into Mm. a place to where we can actually go through the intellectual work of saying, I'm going to understand the narrative 
And and that's why we read the readings and we have a homily. That's actually the that's the extent. That's why and, this this glory is so right. And not to put too fine a point on it, but how is the whole of the liturgy framed? By coming in and experiencing water, something of creation, usually smells of incense oftentimes, motion of our bodies, and then actually eating the fabric. food that comes from the earth. Right. No, we, we take There's, fabrics, we take silks right. and, and um, matter. And it's all framed by matter because God loves it and wills it and it teaches who he is. I mean, it's there's like Oil, a little, a, water, a little fabric. Bee, bee in your bonnet. We have candles. Um, not oh. to put too fun a point on it. Say there's oh. a little bee in your bonnet. Put well, a the, bird, the, they little, might be giants. Build a little birdhouse in, in your, your soul. soul. And so what happens is you have um, you have well candles done. with that are made from bees and yes. things that are of wood and stone and and oil metal and, and water and pipe wheat and music and grapes and, and pipe and music. Yeah, no, but but that's but it's that those aren't periphery, peripheral, <laughs> right? The right. the stuff of the liturgy or peripheral. Mm, uh, yes. <laughs> okay. Okay. So um, so second reading. Yeah. Okay. Um. Now okay. we make a little bit of a jump because I have a good connection, I think, between the second reading and the gospel. Okay, but not so much between the first, the responsorial, and the second reading. <laughs> Although there's a good East, there's a good uh, Halloween reference in it. Uh, okay, so Second Thessalonians, um, this part of Second Thessalonians, actually one of the, the oh most, yeah, there is, isn't there? Yeah, the most beautiful parts about Thessalonians is that Paul in this letter, Paul, Thessalonians is one of the least complicated of Paul's letters, which is nice. It makes us a good entrance point to the epistles the epistolatory literature. But in this section, he's, he's dealing with a group of probably Gentile converts, so non-Jews who've become Christians, and they're having a really hard time understanding both the afterlife, the resurrection of the body, and the second coming. Because it's so foreign to the pagan worldview. Number one, to have a body in the afterlife, the resurrection. And they're all a little bit confused on the second coming. Wait, so he's going to come again somehow? And he's going to give us our bodies back? And they'll be resurrected? Like, what? What's going on here? And you actually get in a, in a little bit later in Thessalonians, Paul will deal with this question of, okay, we have all these loved ones who have died. And... But you're telling us they're going to kind of come back or they sort of still exist, but they're going to have bodies. What's that all about, Paul? And so Paul's like, oh, great. I'm glad you asked. And we're glad he they asked, too, because Paul gives us more insight into the second coming of Jesus than we get anywhere else. And so um, here he, he this at the beginning of the letter, he talks about how I'm, I'm praying for you. Um, I want God to make you worthy of all of these things and powerfully bring to fulfillment all of this stuff. I mean, maybe you can find some relation to the previous readings about God fulfilling his, his calling and his purpose through all of these things that we do, I suppose, God being glorified. But then in the second paragraph, he says, we ask you, brothers and sisters, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus, because you guys are freaked out about this, and our assembling with him, our, our going to be with him, our general resurrection with him, not to be shaken out of your minds suddenly or to be alarmed either by a quote-unquote spirit, maybe a demon, or by some oral statement or by a letter allegedly to us to the effect that the day of the Lord is at hand. Don't be scared of all the scary stuff that's out there. When you think about the end, when you think about the second coming of Jesus, don't be freaked out by it. And if you hear some rumors floating around, oh, it's the end of the world, it's the end. I, I, I'm, I can't take this out of the modern ecclesial context that we find ourselves in, where I spend too much time online listening to all the yelling, conspiratorial voices, and all people are freaking out about every manner of things going on in the church. And there's probably plenty of things to be a little freaked out about. But Paul even says, look, 
don't be no matter what you hear, no matter what rumors you hear, no matter what you hear is being said or coming down for us or supposedly being spoken by the apostles, stop freaking out because it's okay. Don't be alarmed by all these things. Um, it's like Halloween because it's spooky. We're being freaked out. But the, the thing I keep coming back to is this connection. And this isn't a really profound connection. It's just literally a linguistic connection. He talks about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in context, he's referring to the second coming. But the term coming, it's the word parousia in Greek, right? P-A-R. O-U-S-I-A, parousia, which parousia doesn't mean, so I came over to your house today. That's not the word parousia. There's a different common Greek word for coming. Parousia is the official royal visit of a king or a dignitary. So he's saying when Jesus comes, it's not just going to be Jesus kind of coming over to your house for dinner. It's Jesus or coming for lunch. or for lunch or for some Doritos, but Jesus coming in his royal glory, the royal um official uh, kingdom entrance. That's what he's referring to. And the reason I'm stuck on that is that that notion of the coming is precisely what's happening in the gospel. Jesus isn't just happening to be passing through. The way that the people treat Jesus in Jericho when he arrives in the gospel is like a parousia, which is strange because Jesus has not been acting a whole lot like what people thought a king was supposed to act like. But yet, his coming into Jericho in the time of Zacchaeus, it's like a parousia. It's, the, it's, it's our insight into what's going to come later. His ultimate coming, his ultimate parousia, is when he comes to Jerusalem and is enthroned with a crown of thorns and elevated onto the cross. That is the parousia. But for Luke, in our gospel reading, um, chapter 19 is full-fledged into the royal road into right. his enthronement. Right. Uh, actually, in the gospel. Are, are we Luke, in the gospel now? Yeah, I guess we are. Okay. Unless you have anything. No, I'd have, I don't. I was struggling a little bit with the second reading, but I think there's some stuff. No, no, I, I, I like that because uh, this is the big story of Zacchaeus. But let me just say, though, before we get into Zacchaeus himself, um, the way that Luke renders his gospel, everything from chapter 9, nine. through 19 is what Luke call or what scholars sometimes call the travel narratives. Right. So it's the it's the the way of the Lord. So literally everything that Luke says in chapter 9 through 19 has to do with Jesus's coming into his kingship. Right. And so all the parables that Jesus gives, all the stories that Luke tells right. you, it's all these things about, you know, all these people who were unprepared when the master came back or people who are waiting for the bridegroom's return. It's all about people coming or returning or being found who were lost and a lot of people who were uh, caught off guard. Right. So that's where that's the only that's the context that the Zacchaeus story needs to be read within. Which is funny because when I wrote uh, my thesis on the disciples on the road to Emmaus, mm. that was actually what so dramatic is that they're moving away from Jerusalem, and the whole thrust of the gospel is to Jerusalem and to Jerusalem the yes. into the core of Jerusalem, and so then mm. the, basically it's a mm. symbolic thing of saying we're leaving we're this out. whole yes. this whole project, which is them leaving the church, leaving the kingdom, right? In, in a very real sense, yeah, it's right. Profound. Like our but but here we have the opposite neighbor. What? Oh, it's always hard when you see um, uh, priests leave, and so I, I don't oh, know. So, yeah, yes, there's yes, there's somebody yes. close. Who I thought you meant like next and, door here. Yeah, like no, they what they do, what they do, what <laughs> your neighbors do. Uh, we all left our flags out in the snowstorm. Is really what happened. Yeah, um, we've all been there. So okay, so which is very interesting. Okay, so I have 
I have one insight. I have it, lots. Well, have... I have some. Okay. So so I was looking. It's okay. Uh, Should we tell the story really quick? Should we paraphrase it real yeah, fast? Yeah. So, so uh, Jesus is coming on the way uh, to, he went to Jer- Jericho and he was intending to go through the town. And we're really close to Jerusalem, by the way. Palm Sunday is is shortly after this in chapter 19. So we're right. He's And Jericho, even geographically, it's very close to Jerusalem. We're almost there. Right. And you know what Jericho means, don't you? What does it mean? Palm, I know the historical significance of it. But. Palm City. Palm City? Yeah, yeah. That's I didn't actually where that. all the palms for Palm Sunday come no. from, Jericho. Oh, come on. Yeah, man. Did you know that Jericho is the longest continuously inhabited city on Earth? Word. The longest continuously inhabited city by human beings on Earth. It's also, it was, it was stop number one into the conquering of the promised land in the book of Joshua. When after the Exodus, they began to settle settle the promised land. That was the first stop. Well, this is why it's really important. This is my insight today. Okay, okay, talk to me. um, So he's going through. He intends to pass through because it's on the way. And and then there's this uh, chief tax collector. Yeah. So what's a chief tax collector? Really, in a certain sense, he is the kind of main representation of the oppressive force of Rome. Absolutely. And and so he's making them cash because all the other tax collectors have to report to him, right? But and they're probably skimming off the top too because yeah. everybody hated all the tax collectors. But the chief one, he's like the the king chief. of the of the uh, sinners, sinners. Simmers, skinners, skimmers, sinners. I just said sinners. I said skimmers, and we said it they together. skimmed off the top. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's the and, theme today. Let's say it at the same time. Skimmers. Oh, I thought we were doing it. Okay. No. Oh, no. Sorry. We, you can't plan that. No, no. You just right. have to let it happen. Well, I'm, I'm like surprised. A, I'm just following your lead, man. Hey, man, the, the, that's improvisation. What can I say? So, of course, then we know that he's short. He runs up into the tree. He's in there. Jesus says, hey, you're Zacchaeus. Quickly come down. Okay. Make haste. Come down because I'm going to dine with you. So then he makes haste and he comes down and he dines with them. Yep. And as they're walking along. Now, this is the thing. Yeah, 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 it's yeah. so hard for me. Sorry, it's so hard for you I'll just come, to we'll like come back. We'll come I, back. It's I know, okay. I know, I know, I know. I'm telling myself. Okay, what, what are we gonna say? I get excited. Just all of it. Just you, you do. You do you. You do. <laughs> <laughs> There's just a bunch of details about about yeah, what's get, going let's, on here. Let's let's get, let's get into it because it'll right, probably right, make right. my insight better. Okay, so a couple things here. There's a big crowd coming to see Jesus. Even which, though he's just gonna juke them like he was gonna do the <laughs> disciples on the the <laughs> cloud to Emmaus. The cloud to Emmaus? I, I can't remember. I don't know why I said cloud. I don't know. That's all right. Well, but I mean, they 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 are familiar with their their it's hard to say whether they know who he is, but they've caught wind, hey, there's somebody coming who seems like he's making a claim to the kingship. He he might be making a move on Rome. This is a big deal. Somebody's and that's important. Well, this is the thing is that I actually think that that's what makes him going to stay with Zacchaeus so radical. Yes. Because what happened is that the uh, uh, the two emissaries of Israel who are going into the promised land to see, reconnoiter it to see if they can actually... What word did you just say? Reconnoiter. What does that mean? Reconnoiter. It's a military term to go um, uh, see if you can conquer it's it's a nice, it's, it's nice like a, pole. a scout no that's a great a scout I just, I, i'm not familiar with the word thank you yeah so that's they're cool. they're gonna go through and what happens is they end up in jericho with rahab yep the prostitute the prostitute this is back in joshua yeah and, yeah, yeah. and joshua you know what they say i'm gonna stay with you today yeah 
That's, it's that's... the same words that Jesus is using with Zacchaeus. So here is somebody who's coming to reconnoiter mm-hmm. the land to see if they can. That's and so, true. so, sure. so all of these people are sure, looking, sure. and they that's they good. know the story. All they all they they get they understand. I mean, they may or may not understand it, but if they understood it, then Jesus coming to stay with a head of the opposing force. Right. Heading That'd on his way deal. to Jerusalem, they're going to go. Hold on, is he reenacting the taking of the promised oh, that's land? Interesting, because that's, he's because the, they're they're thinking Rahab, they're mm. thinking Zacchaeus. Do you oh, think they man. are? Some, I think somebody is. I wonder if somebody is that because they all took palms from the city to yeah, go yeah. to Jerusalem. That's true. They must have. They must have. They're, they're going like, oh man, okay. hold on. Okay. He's and so they, they're okay. kind of getting this. Some of them are getting it. Some of them are just angry. Yeah. Okay. So check this out. So there's a crowd because they they get this. Somebody's somebody's coming. Zacchaeus, if he being a chief um, administrator for the the imperial government should be the last person who'd want to see Jesus unless he's trying to like spy him out right like checking him out like i work for the 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 government that he's coming against i mean if you work for the empire and someone's making a claim to the kingship you guys aren't going to get along very well right so it's hard to say what what zechariah's intention or zacchaeus was it intention hold are. on so so your insight was no, that was not your. No, answer. I'm just saying it. I, I just threw that out. That's that would be but, a very. I mean, talk about an interesting political I dynamic. Wonder. It, 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 it's, it's, it's a it's question. Like, it's like ambassadorship and and kingliness and yeah. Yeah. all of these things. It's like um, you make peace with the person who's going to prosecute you along the way, lest yeah. they you know settle out of court. The kind of I don't know, but this I wonder what his intentions were because what if, what if, what if his intent? I mean, this is a guy who is ambitious politically and in, in career he's chief. wise, right? So what if he's thinking, okay, maybe if I spy out this would be Messiah and I report it back to my superiors and back to Rome, it's going to give me a better standing. They're going to let you know I'm going to be the one who spied out and got this information on this potential threat to the empire. I don't know. I, who knows what his intentions are? I think but, he might have been an Arab, by the way. Why do you think that? Because he says he calls him he's a he's a son of Abraham. Oh, okay. And well, that would have been that would have made sense. I mean, they recruited mainly Hebrew people to do okay. their work. Okay, so maybe Matthew that was, was a tax collector, and he's a he's a um, he's a Jew. Yeah. So there were Jews who were tax collectors who they were even more particularly hated because they were considered traitors to their own people. Yeah. So okay. he could have been that. But the question comes to how does Jesus know his name? And that's where I was kind of fascinated by, and I, I there, there's, I, I, he's hated by the people. He would have been completely hated. Um, he doesn't really strike power or fear in anybody because he's short in stature and he's probably looked down upon. And he's also hated because he's the chief tax collector. So I wonder, I'm picturing the scene of all these people gathered to see Jesus and they're, they're like, who is this guy? Is he going to be, maybe be the Messiah? Could this possibly be it? And they're like, what are you doing here? There's Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, you don't belong here. Like you, you're with the man, you're with the government. And I bet everyone's yelling at him. They're probably cursing at him. And there's safety in numbers, right? You'd be afraid of Zacchaeus if he came to your house. But if there's a giant kind of faceless crowd of people, I bet people are like, who do you think you are? They're cussing him out. They're calling him bad names. And so he goes up into this tree, I think, because a sycamore, it's actually in other translations, it's called a sycamore fig tree. 
And so he goes into a fig tree to hide because he's ashamed Mm. in some sense. A fig tree to hide his shame. What is his shame coming from? Well, his pride because he had made himself sort of a god over the people. So all of a sudden, we're seeing a lot of references back to the creation story in Genesis, right? He hides in a fig tree. I mean, it is clear from the tradition that this is a fig tree. And fig trees are good places to hide because fig leaves are big leaves. (laughs) Which is true. Figs are big leaves. So he's hiding in the fig tree, right? Which I'm still, I'm so struck by that imagery, right? Yeah. And Jesus, what happens? He hears that this guy is here. He probably hears he is a chief tax collector, a governmental official, a representative of the empire that everybody thinks that Jesus is probably intending to overthrow. And he hears people cussing this guy out. I'm speculating, right? But what if Jesus hears them cussing this guy out? And he goes up and he's like, I know where you are. You're not hiding. You're not fooling anybody. Zacchaeus. And he knows his name is Zacchaeus because everyone's probably yelling at him and mocking him or cursing him or whatever it is. And what everyone would expect Jesus to say is something like, you cruel criminal, you've been ripping people off. You're a traitor. You're not one of us. You know, you're one of the enemy. How dare you even be? You know, everyone was kind of way. That's what a, a good politically minded Messiah would do. Because you want to gain the favor of the people, right? You want you want the population to love you. And you want to get the critical mass of people who are like shouting your support. And Jesus does precisely the opposite. And in fact, what Jesus does by calling out Zacchaeus and saying, actually, now I am going to stick around in town. And not only am I going to stay in town, I'm going to your house. And I wonder if people would have made the, the Rahab connection. That's fascinating. I've never thought about that before. But the other thing Jesus does in that, when he says, come down from the tree, stop hiding in the figs, it's reminding us of God coming into the garden, finding Adam and Eve hiding in the fig tree, saying, where are you? I want to be with you in relationship with you. Now the Lord is coming to another fig tree saying, where are you? I want to be with you. I want to share relationship with you. Mm. But in calling Zacchaeus down and saying, I'm going to come and dine with your house, what happens to the crowd? They probably disperse. No. They get mad? At who? Jesus. So what does Jesus do? He took the animosity and the anger that rested on Zacchaeus, and he took all of the hatred from Zacchaeus and put it upon himself. He took the Mm. sin of Zacchaeus and the consequence for that sin and the shame, and he took it away from Zacchaeus and he put it on himself so that now all the people turn away from hating Zacchaeus to hating Jesus. He has taken the blame for Zacchaeus. He's taken the consequence on himself. And then he takes that with him and dines with the sinner. Okay, so this is the other part in my meditations upon this that makes tons of sense in relationship to the first reading. Mm. Okay, I over, talk to me. I overlook your sins so that you may repent. Okay. So what happens is that because mm. Jesus is doing this, what does he do? He opens up a window for Zacchaeus to say, Hold on, I actually get a f- get free because you have actually you're this heat sink towards this animosity and now you now you've actually created a space to where he has the freedom to do it. So if my first theory was wrong, which I kind of think it was, but I wanted to throw it out for consideration. If Zacchaeus was not simply spying out Jesus to understand the enemy, but if Zacchaeus was moved somewhere in his heart out of a curiosity and wanting to know about this guy because there's something moving within him. I don't think that those are exclusive to each they other. They might not be, but what do we have? We have 
God is rebuking him little by little in his heart. There's something probably pinging in his heart saying, oh, I see this guy. There's something going on here. And because of the little by little that God was rebuking his heart saying, go and see this guy. Go and check it out. Climb the tree. Take a look. Because of that little by little, the bigger by bigger came. And Jesus was able to open the door even wider than it already was. But we have to acknowledge that God already began to prepare that through what we hope is a, a ping of conscience of him saying, there's something here that I don't have that I need to see that I'm curious about. I don't know, this, but then I'm related back to the, this and what is God who doing? Would, who would make a covenant with me who, yes, is, who is a yes. sinner by coming to eat with me? And what does God use? He uses the stuff of creation that is actually related to humanity's original sin as the tool for me to actually get closer and open the door to my Savior. And so, yeah, so it's it's the things of fig trees, of right. of money and possessions and mm. the poverty of the people and yeah. the these things. You know, I, I'm always struck. We, we we had a podcast many years ago, um, probably the first time we did this, and, and Jesus showing that he is plucking good fruit. Oh, so did we say that? About yeah, you? we talked about it. Oh. And, uh, 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 the the last time is we talked about how Jesus, Jesus plucks fruit off the fig tree. Yes, and because he's actually uh, wow. a, a chapter before, he's trying to show his disciples how to actually oh. discover good fruit, and so he cures the blindness of Bartimaeus. Yes, and then as as and then the, he goes, who is and, understood as the oppressed, right? Jesus cares for the oppressed, and then in the next breath, what does he do? He cares for the oppressor. Absolutely. And then he goes and he shows his disciples how to discover good fruit, which you would never see. You'd never see. But he plucks good fruit from this tree and then shows them what it looks like. Wow. And then that then that good fruit starts to bear greater fruit. Well, even the fruit is born in Zacchaeus's own life, right? He stood right. and said, half of my possessions I give to the poor. He actually follows the advice of John the Baptist at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, who said, if you've ripped anybody off, repay it, restore it, tax collectors. If you're skimming off the top, pay it back. He actually said that way back in chapter 3 of Luke. Right. And now Zacchaeus is sort of the first fruits of the prophecy of John, in a certain sense. He's actually living it out. Which, is, which I was just thinking about how... Um, John was mm. preaching to Herod little bit by little bit, yeah. and he almost repented, but then he got messed up because he got drunk. Yeah, yeah, and, then, and, pr- seduced, and, then, and, and seduced by Salome and yeah. and all that Herodias. sort of stuff. Her- Her- yeah, Herodias. Herodias yeah. yeah, she was a, an accomplished belly dancer, but a spiritual moron. Uh, is that a quote? Yeah, that has a, to be a quote. From yeah, that's a quote um, <laughs> oh, okay. from uh, Ralph, Father Ralph Drendel. But, but that, this is the thing that I think is so beautiful. Mm. I, I, this all actually really weaves together in Zacchaeus's life. In this, kind of a beautiful way. Yeah, it, and how Zacchaeus acts little bit by little bit mm. by little bit. I mean, honestly, climbing a tree is you have to make a real decision. You're like, am I going <laughs> to climb this tree? Climbing a tree is... Especially if you're little. You don't yeah. happen to climb a tree. No. You actually have to be motivated to climb that tree. But I think it's beautiful. In Especially his, in the midst of a crowd of people who probably want to kill you. Yeah, and his, his, his hiddenness, but then is called mm. out, but then the heat sink and the, the intercession of Jesus and his actually calling him little by little and overlooking yes. everything he's done. He's like, I'm just going to come eat with you. I'm going to over, he overlooks it. Not in the sense of ignoring it. Right. that's not what wisdom means. No, it's like, not, oh, God doesn't care about our sin. No, no, no. It's, he's, because everybody else is like, how can you overlook that and go dine with him? You right. need to focus. You need to laser focus on his sin, man. Right. And he's like, no, I'm going to put that aside so that I can come to his house. 
But then that's what wisdom means. Right. I don't know if I actually had a total context to understand that line in wisdom. Yeah. But Zacchaeus is that line embodied. Right. Or God, Jesus is embodying it. And then wow. And then he moves along, man. And the, and and that's and good. I can think people hmm. who are profound and his disciples, they're all looking and they're going like, "What does this mean?" Right. Double rainbow. What does that <laughs> mean? And they won't know right. until Acts of the Apostles. Right. They're still going to be confused. Right. But this is the beauty of how God's plan works, because it's clear that the apostles do not put any of these pieces together until after Pentecost. But what the Gospels are showing us is all of the hundreds and thousands of seeds that Jesus planted in their souls that they did not get, that later on they went back, which is kind of what wisdom is doing, saying, go back over the course of salvation history so that you can now put the pe- now in hindsight, you can put the pieces together and say, oh, that's what God was doing, which is what he does in the apostles' lives. It's what he does in all of our lives. Right. As we go back and we're like, that was the zig. I never understood why Jesus wanted to go to that guy's house. Right. Oh, but Luke says, no, I got to record that story because I get it now. And and this is the thing is that we have to renew it in each generation. Yeah, yeah. That 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 our age we are we have a responsibility to this age to communicate these truths and to right. review this story. That's yep. like it's not and like to retell it again, and again, again, and again, and again, and again, and again. And and we are just using a, a a popular means of retelling the story the same way they did in the medieval ages and the same way they did it in the twenties and the on their iPhones. Uh, th- <laughs> you don't mean the podcast. podcast. <laughs> no, no, I mean the the method of retelling ah, yes. the story and inviting people into the into this, and that's that's where it, it does actually reside our, as our responsibility. So you guys have a responsibility <clears throat> in the midst of this to to actually communicate and to call the little Zacchaeuses hiding in the trees. Yeah. Um. To and to go and to dine with them and to invite them into this beautiful story. Because yeah. because little bit by little bit, we are called on by every possible means from our bodies into the uh, fig trees and to fig newtons and to <laughs> everything. That, let's be honest. Whenever you say fig, it's like, it's like, but it's not a cookie. It's a fig newton. It's a fig newton. I mean, it's like every possible means we can to communicate the gospel. Fig cookies are big cookies. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are the best. God bless you. Have a good day. We'll see you next time. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The Word on the Hill podcast is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.thomascenter.org A-I-C-T, and you can find the Lanky Guys podcast at lankyguys.org. Thank you so much for listening, and we will be back next time.